All right, Boz, here we go. This is, this is a good one. I stole is, your line. It's a good, it's a good one. <laughs> I was going to say, this is a classic, <laughs> classic topic that's been covered uh, it, largely in, in CrossFit, but we haven't discussed it, and I think it's very valuable. It's user-submitted content, and I'm going to summarize it. It's from Kelly R. So, Kelly, first of all, thanks for leaving a comment on, on the YouTube. Basically, she says she came from two years of Orange Theory before getting into CrossFit, and that world is largely encapsulated and revolved around spending a certain number of minutes in various zones of your heart rate. And that is the indicator as to whether or not what you did met the mark that day. So mm. in summary, her question is, from coming from that environment where everything was about heart rates and spending certain time in certain zones, is that an actual meaningful definition or measure of intensity in the CrossFit space? So that's that's what we're going to dive into. And I have a feeling you've heard this question it. asked once or twice at a level one seminar. Indeed. Yeah, this is one that <clears throat> yeah, right away, right out the gate, we used to actually lead with examples of intensity and then correlates to intensity and, and heart rate was not in the category of objective measurements of intensity. So let's get that out the door right away. But I think I want to start with my charitable view of what I think is going on here. And so the, the, glass the charitable view, view, that's right. Yeah. Let's, let's be an optimist for a minute. <laughs> okay. Uh, so indulge me if you will. Uh, I think what is trying to be accomplished with a group class like orange theory, and to be fair, I'm pretty ignorant on the orange theory method. So I don't, I don't know. Um, but if I had to speculate, if you have a group of people in front of you of mixed fitness levels and they're all on the bike, and they're all going to ride for an hour. And the program that you have calls for times where there's supposed to be lower intensities and higher intensities and some in the middle. There needs to be something to make that accessible to every individual in that class. And I'll go out on a limb and say that the leader of that class is probably not really coaching so much as they are enthusiastically keeping people in the game, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so without the knowledge of each individual and, and what they're thresholds are, what their past performances are, what they're actually capable of, I think heart rate steps in as a very rough proxy for intensity. And it gives you something that basically suggests, okay, now it's time to be low intensity. I've got a number. I can focus on that. And it gets me close enough. And then same thing when it's time to really rev it up and do a high intensity uh, burst or whatever. I have something that I can tie it to. Now, I think the mistake is when you take that and you kind of extrapolate that and you say, okay, now it's a really scientific thing that I'm doing mm -hmm. and this heart rate is actually a magic number where if I deviate outside of it, it uh, it's somehow less effective because that's not the case at all. Right. And, you know, we used to say also, you know, that there's a difference between causation and correlation and it would be the first sure. to say, it's really hard to get fit without jacking your heart rate up. I mean... For sure, <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you're not going to get really fit at a profoundly low heart rate. I mean, so they are correlated beyond a shadow of a doubt. But if you think be, simply because your heart was beating at a particular pace, that that means you had an intense workout or something which benefited your fitness, I think you've been fed a pack of lies, quite frankly, because there are countless yeah. real life and anecdotal examples of 
you know, they say a, you know, a NASCAR driver driving around the track at 200 miles an hour for three hours, their heart rate's at like 160, <laughs> 170 beats a minute for, for three hours. They're not getting fit by a long shot. So, you know, sure. that heart rate means something. We've got somebody at uh, Lynchman that had some sort of heart rate tracking device on, and this woman went to a college basketball game that she was apparently very passionately invested in who won or who lost, but all she did was watch the basketball game live. And at the end, this device let her know that she had spent approximately 30 minutes at 70% of her max heart rate. And congratulations <laughs> on your workout. <laughs> ah, that's great. So, yeah, there you go. That's so, all it takes. You just have to go and you know get involved in the game. And next thing you know, your, your cardiovascular check mark is fulfilled right. for the day. <laughs> so again, you're not going to get fit without your heart rate going up. But the mere fact right. that your heart rate is a particular beat per minute in the grand scheme of things, I think at the end of the day, what we want to get a point across is it doesn't really mean what some individuals or entities would want you to think that it means. And it does not have yeah. the level of singular importance regarding Absolutely. your workout that some marketing would also lead some folks to believe. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly that outside of a rough proxy for intensity used to try to solve the problem of how do I make sure that everybody in the group is relatively low intensity at certain times, relatively high intensity at others, you know, outside of that as a problem solving device, I, I think you're dead on the money. Um, it's, it's not a good way to accurately predict or reflect um, utility of the exercise that you're doing or the intensity that you're sustaining. So and there's if you so want to many, look at more, go ahead. I was going to say, there's so many other things that could influence it. Refer yeah. How you ate, exactly. how you slept, what your emotions are. Are you living your normal life? Are you at a bachelor party in Las Vegas where you, you know, smoked two packs of Marlboro yep. Reds, drank a handle of whiskey and, you know, haven't slept all night long. <laughs> you, you're going to have some different metrics the next day if you decide to sure. go sweat it out at the local CrossFit gym. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so, and in prepping for this episode, I always like to poke around the journal and see what has or has not been written on the topic. And so I'm going to point everybody to some references that if they feel like digging into a bit more, they certainly can. I'm not going to, you know, read the six page article right here, but go ahead and check out an article in the CrossFit journal entitled, follow your heart rate with a question mark as in, should you follow mm. your heart rate? And it was from October, 2011. And some interesting points were, you know, the most common metric that people use to establish what zone you're in is going to take 220 minus your age, that's your max heart rate, et cetera, et cetera. And kind of one of the big points of the article was, is there are a couple other ways to find your max heart rate. One being if you're in a clinical setting, which most people aren't in, you know, so they're going to use a simpler formula that all of this zone training is based upon this, what you establish as your max heart rate, but, and people are blindly following this as this, as if it is a law without really knowing where did it come from? What mm -hmm. was it? What are its origins? What was its purpose? And was it meant to drive athleticism forward or not? And as the article explains, the answer is flatly no. That was not the origins yeah. of trying to figure out max heart rate or whatnot. And again, you said that some of this you've chatted about before regarding the, the Cooper Institute, I believe you said. Yeah, that's right. So uh, I think a lot of that early research was done by the Cooper Institute, and they were, uh, then I'll probably get corrected on this in the comments. It's been a long time since I've thought about this. This is uh, something that, man, I was a little bit more 
familiar with probably 10 or 15 years ago, but quite frankly, it, it failed to be useful. And so it's kind of been discarded in my, in my mm -hmm. brain, but right, I do sure. have some remnants of that, that kind of stuff in there. So the, the Cooper Institute was interested and did a lot of preliminary research into cardiovascular health and that sort of thing. And, um, it's, they did a lot of work with heart rate and a lot of the early, uh, studies around that are what kind of laid the groundwork for those types of recommendations that you see now, the 220 minus age and, and whatever else. What's interesting though, is that most of the people that were involved in the early days in, in those types of studies, they, they were not an athletic population. They were not a population that was, um, concerned with any sort of performance. Um, and so if you look at their long-term recommendations, they would be so low as far as like a, a goal for even the average CrossFit athlete that you'd be pretty surprised. You know, I think when an end state for some of those programs was, for example, to be able to run 400 meters without stopping or to be able to work up to a mile without stopping. And surely mm -hmm. for some people, that's going to be a, a great long-term goal. I'm not disparaging that, but to put that on the pedestal as, you know, some sort of pinnacle that, that other athletes need to abide by, it just doesn't make sense. And so I think some of that might be people taking the original and extrapolating information that probably shouldn't have been. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think it's, you know, uh, the, the responsibility of the athlete as well to, to recognize kind of where things came from, like you pointed out, and what they're originally designed to do and whether or not that's still useful moving forward. So yeah. another way to look at that is, you know, if you talk to any runner who's interested in improving their performance, they might, they might look at heart rate from time to time, but I would bet you the overwhelming majority of people that are engaged in a program that, that let's say they want to get a faster mile time, that program is going to be based way more around previous pace at the mile and then different programs that manipulate that pace. You know, you, you run 400s a little bit above your mile pace and, you know, you gradually mm -hmm. reduce the rest between those 400s, et cetera, et cetera. But the point is what you're looking at is a past performance and using that to, to dictate what you should do in the program moving forward. I would bet you the vast majority are going to do that rather than what is my heart rate and then base these different intervals off of heart rate. And if you were to compare those two things, I would say with almost total certainty that the group that worried about pace instead of heart rate is the one that's going to see the biggest performance drivers over the course of that program. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that was a long-winded way to say that, uh, you know, again, yeah, heart rate can do something sort of, but if you're at all interested in performance, I don't think it's the right thing to be focusing on. Uh, yes, and that's what my experience has has shown as well. And I think the other part to mention, I want to do so kindly. I also, your term, charitable view. I'm going to give my charitable <laughs> view first, right? Which is, if strapping some sort of device to yourself that produces wonderful different colors that are visually appealing and they have cool names yeah. for the zones, and, and if that just jazzes you up and it, it, it makes you motivated about training and your progress or whatever it happens to be, and that gets you into the gym more frequently, well, then I'm on board the home team for the big win. Because anything that gets sure. you in the gym and, and gets you actually working out, that's great. That's my charitable view. I would love if people were able to find that motivation without the device. That would be my, my best case scenario utopia. And 
I think what people potentially would heart rate enthusiasts or companies that are making quite a living based upon this may be your their counterpoint to what you just said was, okay, sure, originally, yes, it did not. It was not uh, born out of a desire to increase athleticism, sure, but a lot of time and decades have passed since then, and we've really dug into the studies and the numbers, and we've found a way to optimize it, and now it is what you should be using and, and all that good stuff. I think you would hear something like that, and there'd be some wonderful studies per, you know, presented to you with, with people that have PhDs, and you know, how dare you? You don't have a PhD, Bosman. And then, True. and then, I think the other side, again, th- that was my charitable view. So now here's my more realist, and hopefully it doesn't come off as cynical. But I'd I'd like to tell people <laughs> the truth, and even if the truth isn't pleasant to hear every now and then, sometimes human beings, myself included. People are like fish. They like shiny objects. They can, they can be lured into something. And, and marketing is a very powerful industry that sure. yields results. And the truth is that heart rate and things related to it, it's a massive industry, a huge business in, in which yeah. you're going to have a you know, sponsor, big time athletes and social media influences to to let everyone know through their mobile devices and, and accounts that they would not be where they are if they weren't tracking these certain metrics. And you can be it as well, as long as you swipe your visa card. I would just, <laughs> anything which ends with the swipe your visa card, I'm immediately, immediately suspect of. So I would just tell people, again, if it helps you get into the gym, great. But at the end of the day, I think the unequivocal truth is you could train the rest of your life without being concerned about which heart rate zone you are in, and you would be just fine. So I think there's a difference between want and need. You may want to do it. You do not need to do it. And I would, I just, I I might get torn apart in the comments, but that's the line I'm going to draw on the sand. Oh, I think that's uh, right on the money. I think that's the bottom line is that you could never consider that once over your entire lifetime of training and you could be amazingly fit and probably more so than somebody who put that as a primary metric that they thought about and really had to dial in with every training session. And so that's and a that's a big one. I'll throw this out there as well. It's not too often that podcasts recommend other podcasts to listen to, but I'm going to do it. You know, we're unprecedented here. If somebody <laughs> Because most people, you know, you just scroll through social media or read your favorite magazine, if people even do that anymore. Maybe I just dated myself. And if your favorite Mm. athlete does something, well, it must be great. Nobody actually reads the studies to see, did everything actually pan out how it should and to what degree? And is it statistically viable or not? But there are a couple wonderful individuals who actually read the studies. And one of them is Eva Claire Sinkowski, E.C. Sinkowski. We've had her on the podcast before. She's a friend of the show. If you would like to geek out on this a little bit more with regards to things involving heart rate and whether or not the studies support what is being promoted, she's got a podcast called The Consistency Project, and I would highly recommend you listen to two different episodes. One episode is entitled On Measuring Recovery, How to Optimize Performance, and the other is on how to predict optimal performance. There are season one, episode 62, season one, episode 65. And I think, I think those will serve you well. So if it's yeah, not... Well, and, well, I would just add to that, that 
I mean, EC, if you guys are not familiar with her, she is a beast. And, you know, we've had her on the show before to talk about nutrition. And I highly recommend you guys go back and check that out as well. But she is is uh, got an amazingly clear perception on what actually drives the needle forward in the context of real people doing it in their real lives. And so I think that she's an awesome, awesome uh, resource for all types of things that kind of come up on the radar uh, where it's easy to get lulled into this um, belief that it may be a really scientific approach, but when you actually get right down to it, there's not that much supporting it other than some bold claims and uh, some flashy design. So, so yeah, I'll, check her out for sure. I'll, I'll wrap it up with this because I don't think there's actually much more to say about it. Yeah. If and I can't wait to hear what happens in the comments. This could be this could be just quite a <laughs> quite a comments one. But I don't know. If, I bet I bet more people are are in agreement. They just you know I, I I don't know too many people that that put a primacy on. Maybe that's just because of the world I'm living in. But I I can't recall ever working out with a high level CrossFit athlete or an athlete in any other discipline for that matter where they're like heart rate is the thing I really want to focus on instead of something like pace based on previous effort mm. or, you know, past performance dictating what I need to do today. So here's the final question. If heart rate is not what people should focus on to measure their intensity, what should they focus on to measure their intensity? Ooh, great question. Yeah. I mean, the, the obvious one are the objective metrics. What have you done in the past? And so the big ones there are, uh, how long did it take? That's objective. How heavy was it if you have a weightlifting movement in there or if your body weight, you know, how heavy are you? Um, and along with that is how many repetitions did you complete? And if you really want to get uh, into it, um, you know, you can start to add distance as another metric. That's obvious when we're talking about things like running or rowing or whatever. But you can also consider the distance that's traveled during a rep. Um, mm -hmm. The good news is that, you know, if that sounds overwhelming, it's easily notated and you do it naturally every single day in the CrossFit environment by writing down how long it took you to do your workout and what your workout was. It's just that simple. But those are the metrics that you want to focus on. How long did it take? How many reps? How heavy was it? How far did it go? Just what, that was easy. The, what was the work that you did and how long did it take to do that work? That's right. Yep. Wonderfully. I'm always so happy when things are simple. I think some people like some complexity. <laughs> I'm happy when it's simple. So that, Kelly... That was a fantastic question uh, regarding heart rate and intensity, one that I think it will benefit folks. You've now heard what Adrian and I feel about the subject, but that's great. But we want to know, what do all of you think? So leave your thoughts in the comments. Obviously, once again, we do read them and they help generate content for future shows. So let us know your experiences, be it favorable or unfavorable regarding heart rate. How do you measure intensity? Thanks for your support. If you're listening in an audio format, head on over to BTWB's YouTube channel, post a comment, and until next time, for Adrian Bosman, I'm Pat Sherwood, and we will see you then.